All right, welcome to the corner of diversity and desperation, man. That's a good place to be. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I want to greet all you who are worshiping with us online. I want you to know all the people that are in the house today, we remembered we're from Cleveland. There's a few of you online, I know, that got up this morning, you were planning on going out, you saw a little snow, and uh, after a couple years of being online, you said, I think I'll maybe curl up by a coffee, but the, the real saints are in the house. I'm just kidding. I'm glad, I'm glad if you're with us online, if you're with us in our South Euclid location, uh, we have a location in Liberia, Africa. They hit me up this morning. They hit me up every morning, and they say, please let Mother Garfield know we've prayed for you. So you've already been prayed for from uh, members of Garfield Memorial, uh, across the pond, as they would say in Great Britain. I'm Chip Fried, lead teaching pastor. If we haven't had a chance to meet, so glad that you're tuning in or you're here physically, that we can be together and uh, be the church. I shared last week just a little in-house business. I shared last week a little tease that um, we had our Martin Luther King Jr. day service. We had a couple guests in from out of town. Uh, but I said, next week, I want to tell you how we finished the year. Um, and it's not just about dollars. We know that dollars uh, help fuel the mission. And we know, as we've said, if people have been adversely affected, we don't expect you to give. Um, as for your prayers and, and serving in other ways, we can do that. But this has been a kind of a, a terrifying year for churches across the country. You guys know I do a lot of coaching uh, with various churches and pastors, and, and 2020 was hard, and 2021 was actually worse. And so our business manager here at the church, Craig Berthy, Berkey, he's a CPA. Um, when I was in the corporate arena, I always called CPA is a constant pain in the way now. Um, but, but, but they have to do their job. And Craig was, you know, Chip, I don't know. I don't know. I think we're going to be a hundred thousand. I think we're going to be this. And I said, well, you've been wrong before. Let's hope you're wrong again. He said, I hope I'm wrong too. I got to tell you, we finished the year. We passed budget um, this year in a year when many churches weren't doing that. In addition to hitting the budget, you guys raised $21,000 for refugees from Afghanistan who are here in Cleveland. $21,000. And over and above that, you, you, you donated an extra $40,000 just to our relief funds that we have for students in, in South Euclid Lindhurst, for people in our Helping Hands Fund that need food or, or help with uh, utilities or whatever during this crazy year. You guys blew our doors off. I got to tell you, I just want to say, uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow, but praise God for faithful people. So thank you for that. I just want to let you know that comes deep from my heart. So we're in a new teaching series. We planned uh, this, uh, we, we plan our series out a year in advance. And as our teaching team were together, um, it was actually Pastor Scott. We, we talked about in the new year, we know after everything we've been through, for these last two years, uh, we gotta start to kind of rebuild. And, and how do we say, where are we at spiritually? right? How am, I, how am I doing spiritually? We talk about physical fitness uh, and, you know, and I need to pay attention to that, but also we need to pay attention to our spiritual fitness. How are we doing spiritually? I don't know what that buzz is going on back there, guys, but it's, it's, it's up here pretty prominent. Um, and how are we growing spiritually? How are we doing in, in building, as Jesus said, a spiritual foundation? So we, came, we, we hijacked this term. Some of you may even use this app called Map My Run. Uh, it's a company called uh, Map My Fitness is where they started. They've got Map My Run, Map My Climb, Map My Ride, Map My Walk. And they're an app. Under Armour bought them back in 2005. And at that time, they had like 20 million users to just kind of track 
how are we doing? How am, I, how am I doing on my journey? And it's very interesting that the Apostle Paul, who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament, he often talked about the Christian life as a run. So listen to some of the verses. At the end of his life, he said this. He said, I fought the good fight. What? I finished the race. I've kept my faith. Now there is in store for me the crown. And the crown, whenever you use that, that was like what they would put the laurels on, on runners in the Olympic Games. So he's, he's talking about running a race. I like in Galatians where he, he, he says to, to the church, he said, hey, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? to keep you from, you know, walking in the faith. That'd be like, like you were driving down 480. Who cut in on you, right? Who got in your way? Who, what, what, what took you off track? And then in Corinthians, he says this, do you not know that in a race, runners all compete, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, and nor do I box as though beating the air. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm going, you know, 600 miles an hour, but I might be running aimlessly. I may be chasing my tail in some, some instances, just running in circles. We got to keep our, our attention. That's why I love this last verse so much that says, uh, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So we want to map our run. Um, I met with the staff this past week. You know, we were talking about going through these, these last couple years, you know, that there's a lot of social and spiritual and mental energy that we've been pouring out. And, and I reviewed with them the five stages of grief. You guys know these, right? You've, anybody been through any of these stages the last two years? Okay, just me. Um, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, right? Those are the stages of grief. Interestingly, uh, psychologists and psychoanalysts in our country said that after this last year, 2021, Americans are collectively entering the sixth stage of grief. I, ne I never heard of a sixth stage of grief. But they said right now people are looking in a pursuit of meaning and purpose. And I think that's a good place to be. We've done a, doing a lot of reevaluating, right? And trying to figure out finding more meaning, more purpose in our lives. Um, at, at our vision team worked in 2020 and laid out for us kind of our roadmap here at the church that our mission is to widen the circle to, you heard Andrew talk about, to connect diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus. Our values are safety, authenticity, diversity, transformation, and reconciliation. And we've got some measures that we ask ourselves these questions to know how we're doing. First on love, how am I loving my neighbor the way God loves them? Humility, how am I putting the needs of others above my own needs? Sharing, how am I sharing the good news of God's love for all people? And finally, connect, do I have meaningful connections with diverse people? If we're gonna heal the divide, do I, do I have folks that, that aren't just look like me and talk like me, invoke like me? And then finally, this is our strategy, and this is where we're getting for mapping our run, that we explore, that's what we're doing today in worship together. We're exploring God's words. We find places to connect, 
okay? And then we seek transformation. And finally, we commit. So we're looking at this kind of, these stages of, of, of mapping our run. How are we exploring? How are we connecting? How are we being transformed? And how are we committing? So today, we're looking at that first one, explore. Gardner Taylor was one of my mentors. He was a close friend of Dr. King and a pillar of the civil rights movement. And he said to me one time, he said, the problem with our country is we've lost our sense of pilgrimage, right? And now all we do is try to patch up what we have. We, we need to always be exploring. The Bible tells us that the people of God get really dangerous when they settle. <laughs> That we're always, I, I heard this by Simon Sinek, who's a, a consultant I listen to a lot, who said the best leaders always know their students. All of us need to be in that sense of exploration. And that's why the scripture that we had today, Samuel, the first prophet of Israel, right? After Moses, the first, you know, appointed prophet, he's in a place of exploration. He's, he's exploring. He's, he, he, you heard what was read. He didn't even know the Lord at that time. And he came from a lineage of explorers. His mother, Hannah, was an abused wife, really, if you read the story. She was neglected, but she would go to Shiloh. She would go and, and, and seek God's word. In fact, she's pouring her heart out one time, kind of like Leah and Dre up here on stage. And the priest thought she was drunk and said, she said, look, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord. We need to be in a state of exploration, right? And when is it time for us to explore? I love that verse. I mean, it says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Do you ever find sometimes your spiritual cupboards are empty and God's word seems to be rare and you're not seeking big visions? Your world starts to get a little small. I read where when Columbus stumbled into the Caribbean in 1492, I'm old enough to be raised when they said, you know, Columbus discovered this land. I'm like, how do you discover a land where there's people already there? <laughs> like that didn't make any sense. But he, when he went to the Caribbean, do you remember what he called the inhabitants there? He called them Indians. You know why? Because he thought he was in the Indies, in China, Japan, India. And he was half a world away. What does that tell us? His world was too small. He didn't know the vastness, right? And, and, and that's where our job is as we're seeking and exploring and why you're here today, why you're tuning in online or, or why one of our other locations, that we're seeking to broaden our boundaries. Years ago in the 90s, there was that prayer of Jabez that, that got a lot of attention, a book sold. But the, the beginning of that prayer was, Lord, expand my territory. That's a good prayer. Widen my vision. Right? Give me, give, give me a broader sense of the vastness of, of, of who you are, God, and of who your creation is, and of who my brother and sister really are. When Jesus stumbled up on Peter, Peter was a fisherman, if you read Luke chapter 5, and Peter had been out fishing all night and caught nothing. And he's washing his nets out, right? And you remember Jesus got into the boat and he said, look, Peter, let's go out again. And he said, but God, I've fished all night. I can catch anything. He said, yeah, but you need to go into deeper water. You've been fishing in shallow water. You've been thinking shallow thoughts. You've been hanging out with shallow people. We need to set out. And so Samuel is in 
a, a place of exploration. And, and, and that's why my next point is, you know, where do we explore? That exploration involves a place. We need a place, right? Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord in his usual place. I was at our men's group uh, about a month ago, and we were talking about the difference between religion and relationship, right? Preachers are famous on that one. And I said, you find yourself more religious or you find yourself in relationship? The goal to me is always to be in relationship, but I had, I had two brothers, um, I won't mention their names, but their initials were Mike Weaver and Grant Batchelor. And they said to me, they said, you know what? Sometimes we're just religious. Sometimes we're, we're literally just, we're kind of going through the motions, but when we stay there, we can hear from God. And I'm like, I hate you guys, because that is so good. And that's the exact opposite of what I was going to say. But they're so right. Sometimes you just need to put yourself in striking distance. We need to put ourselves in positions and places of prayer. I mean, COVID has taught us that the church is not the building. We should have known that anyways. But you know, our church never closed. The buildings did for a time, but the church never did. But we still, why were people coming up when our building was closed and we were doing worship out in the parking lot, right? Even when it was like, we, we did two Christmas Eve services in 2020 in a blizzard. I mean, I was out there on a you know, platform. I looked like old man winter. We had a brass ensemble. Why do we do that? Because we need holy space. We need a place to be together. Um, there's a pastor, I, uh, one, of, one of the ones I coach, and he just put a picture up here on Facebook this week, and I looked at it, and it was a rundown little cabin at a camp called Wanaki. And I'm like, why is he posting that? And I read it, and he talked about this is where he met Christ. He said, as a rising seventh grader on the Thursday night of the week, I heard about how one of our camp staff had just that week found the forgiveness and freedom that Jesus gives. I knew I needed that. As I prayed with my counselor and several of my fellow campers, Jesus' love conquered all my fears. It's been a heck of a journey since. since. But I met Jesus face to face for the first time here. I'm privileged to, to stop by now and again to this special place in the woods and grateful that Jesus' love is still greater than all my fears. We need some places. That's why in the Bible, when people would encounter God, they built an altar, right? And we need some carved out some, some holy space in our life. There was a, a movie, some got real popular in this church. I know people were watching it. Remember that movie, War Room? Where it was a story of a, of, a, of a woman, a wife, a mom, who just carved out a place in her closet to be her prayer space. We need holy spaces in our lives. We need to find those places. When we were uh, shut down during COVID, uh, the building, and we were all worshiping online, whenever it, was, it wasn't my turn to preach or whatever, in, in our house, my wife and I, we just built holy spaces. So this was my house during Monday, Thursday, right? Uh, you go to the next one, you see we set up our little altar we're right there in front of the TV. And... Um, and we would just find this space in our family. Our kids would be together. Our son, who's, who's like a worship pastor, it was kind of, you, you can rent him, right? Or like you have him in your own home. But this was us right before we took communion on Monday, Thursday, in our home. Here's just a little minute video we got of us taking the time to, to spend together in a holy space.
Father, everlasting, be your creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. Believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, believe in the resurrection, that he will rise again, for I believe in the name Isn't that beautiful? We need places like that in our life. We need spaces. We need to carve out and put ourselves in front of God. And not even COVID, not racial anxiety, not political division could interrupt us when we carved out a place in our home, in our hearts to be with God. It takes a place, friends, right? God, Samuel was at Shiloh. They had the Ark of the Covenant there at Shiloh. And Shiloh was the hub of Israel's faith life for 369 years. They would come and feast together and connect together. We need to find those kind of spaces. So how then, you know, we have a place um, and we need a people. It takes people, right? It takes people to explore. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord, what? Under Eli. God is speaking to Samuel, but he thinks it's Eli that's talking. He runs to Eli. We need Eli's in our life. We need people. I was just, just early this morning, I woke up, I was thinking about this. And I said to my wife, um, I was remembering when we left the corporate arena and we went off to seminary back in 1990 and we were scared to death and didn't know what we we're doing. And I said, do you remember Steve and Debbie? We were in the married housing there in New Jersey and, and uh, we pulled up with our U-Haul and Tiana was, I don't know, eight years old, seven or eight. And Terry, uh, Perry, she was three months uh, with, uh, pregnant with Perry. And, and here we come and, and this guy, Steve, he's a third year seminary and he just runs out. He said, I bet you need help unloading. And, and we carried in the furniture. I'd never met the guy in my life. And his wife cooked some food for us. And then, then they noticed that Terry was pregnant. And said, and behind our back, they got all these seminary students and did a, a shower for us. Like they didn't know us. And then Debbie said, you know, when, whenever at that day comes, you just bring Tiana over to the apartment. And sure enough, Perry decided to come. You, some of you know Perry. He's, he's always going to come at the wrong hour. It was about three in the morning, right? And I'm knocking on their door at three in the morning. Oh, we're ready you know, we're, we'll be here. And I just remember that. I, I don't even know their last names. I can't, we don't even have contact with them. But you know what I found? God will speak to me on a remote Canadian lake somewhere. And I love that, you know, I'm a nutty fisherman, whatever. But God is always calling me back to people. God's people. He calls us into community. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and an embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. God always calls us to people to immerse in community. And that's how we hear from God, right? And that, that's how we explore. 
We explore by being in community and by listening. So Eli told Samuel, he's hearing, he's hearing Samuel saying, you know, he says, go lie down. And if God calls you again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I hijacked that prayer a lot in my own personal journey. There's times, you know, instead of going to, before God, like, give me, give me, give me, and help me, help me, help me, I'll just say, hey, Lord, you know, speak. I'm listening. So many times Jesus said, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Our God speaks. God is speaking throughout this story again and again and again. We have a God that speaks through propositions and ideas and words and sentences, right? God speaks to us. And that's why Paul later said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then he goes on to say, God decided what? Through the foolishness of our preaching. You say, when do I hear God speaking? When we read the scripture, when we sing the songs, when sometimes through a, a flawed, foolish preaching. I can't tell you how many times over 18 years I've been in this church and I'll be out in the lobby or I'll be in a receiving line down the hall at the sanctuary and one of you will come up to me and say, you know, Chip, when you said X, Y, Z today, it just, something in me just, just broke and I, I got it. And I'm gonna tell you, I never correct you but I can tell you, I never said X, Y, Z. I have a million of those times. Chip, you know when you said, I didn't say that. I don't, I don't correct you because I know who did say it. I know who did speak it, right? And if we put ourselves in a position of active listening, we'll hear from God. I read a, a professor from Stanford. She's a psychological anthropologist. And she said, when we talk to God, we call it prayer. But when God talks to us, we call it schizophrenia. <laughs> but she said, the truth is God does speak to people. And, and it's very normal behavior when we hear people say that they've heard from God. I love uh, George Bernard Shaw wrote a play about Joan of Arc. Remember Joan of Arc who would hear from God? And in the play, the king is very mad at Joan and says, oh, your voices, your voices. You're always hearing voices. Why should God speak to you? I'm the king, you're not. And Joan of Arc says, but he does speak to you. But you don't listen. You're so busy crossing yourself when you get up on your knees, off your knees and running out the doors that you don't hear God when the bells stop ringing. We have a God who speaks to us, friends. He continually comes in our, our job. It doesn't come with Spielberg or Disney or Pixar special effects. What did, remember Elijah up in the cave, all depressed, and it said the earthquake came, but God wasn't in it. The fire came, but God wasn't in it. The wind came, but God wasn't in it. Now, if you study in the Old Testament, those were the ways God always came, through the wind, through the fire, through the earthquake. But then suddenly it said Elijah heard, remember the old King James, a still small voice. In the Hebrew, it literally it means in sheer silence. God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? If we can stop and pause ourselves and listen, we will, we will hear the words of God. And the words of God are eternal words, right? They're, they're strong words. Uh, Martin Luther used to say, human beings say a word, it's a little sound and it flutters away. But the word of God, he said, are heavier than heaven and earth. When Jesus would, as, as his most trying times, whether tempted by Satan, whether on the cross, what did he do? He leaned in on God's words. 
When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, he's quoting the Psalms. He's leaning in on that firm, firm foundation. And so can we lean in. I, uh, I, I always read the local news and, and global news. I'm always looking for some good stories. Did anybody read in December 20th of this year that there was a guy in Akron just this past Christmas season, a guy in Akron was arrested for stealing a bridge? Did, did you read that? A 65-foot bridge. Like it, it was in a watershed and they had overlooked it, but the state was going to use it for something else. And when they went to get, they couldn't find it because the guy had dismantled it. He hired, he hired a crane to put on a truck. It was at his farm down in Medina. I'm like, why do you steal a 65-foot bridge? I couldn't figure out. Maybe he needed something firm to stand on in his backyard. I don't know. But here's the good news. We don't have to go steal a 65-foot bridge. When we've got Jesus Christ as our bridge to God, when we've got Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When we can lean in, how do we explore? We lean in on God's words. We lean in on that firm foundation. And I love that last verse that was read to us today when it says, God was with Samuel and did not let his words fall to the ground. In the Hebrew language, it's very metaphorical so many times, but he's given that image of there is the eternal word, there's something that God will not let fall. In the scriptures it said uh, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but my word goes on forever, right? It goes out and it doesn't come back empty. That's what Samuel learned that he had some, he had a sure foundation. In the Hebrew, there's no word for presence, but we read that in the Old Testament all the time, that presence, you know, the presence of God, the presence of the Lord, literally what that word means in Hebrew is the face of God, the face of the Lord, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And we found out in Jesus Christ that God has a face. We've seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son. Let me, let me end with this. Have you ever heard that statement, the old cliche that said, uh, quit trying to stop the tide? You've heard that or stem the tide? Do you know that literally comes from a historical situation? Anybody know where that comes from? You ever heard of King Caput? Nobody? C-A-P-U-T-E, King Caput, in, in the 11th century, he was the king of England, then the king of Denmark, then the king of Norway. It was the North Sea Empire. And King Caput was a renowned um, warrior. He was a renowned leader, and he had utter faith in God. And he found the people sometimes looking to him too much. So what he did, he took his throne and he went down by the ocean and he sat there and waited for the tide to come in. And when the tide started to come in, he got up and he said, stop. And guess what happened? The tide kept coming in and washed up on the throne, right? And King Caput was teaching. And that's where we get, quit trying to stop the tide. And what he did, he got up and he said this. He said, let all know how empty and worthless is the power of kings. For there is none worthy of the name, but he whom heaven, earth, and the sea obey. And he took off his crown, and he set it on a cross, and he never put the crown on again. He knew that there was something, a word that's heavier, as Luther would say, than heaven and earth. We need to listen for that. We need to lean in on that and continue 
to explore and continue to seek. Remember when Jesus said, seek and, you know, and, and search and knock, a door will be open to you? Actually, in the Greek, that's an imperative language. It actually reads this way, seek and keep on seeking. Search and keep on searching. Knock and keep on knocking and see if God won't speak and a door won't be open to us. Let's continue in this new year to explore. Let's pray together. God, uh, give us a heart open to search and to seek and to knock and trust that as we listen, you will speak. Jesus, we, we give you thanks for your eternal words, words of life. Speak them to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.